Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their mind. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jotmaniac. That's not how I say it. Is that how I say it on here too? Yeah, that's Ooh. how you say it. I do too many of the main episodes now. <laughs> <laughs> and I am DM Josh, aka Three Eyed Sloth, aka DM Morimoto. Mm, what? <laughs> I am. You can be. I mean, so for today. We have no tieback episode, but instead, one of our Patreon dragons, Spidersbane, helped me make DMnastics number 106, Monster Menu. And in case you did not get my Morimoto reference, we are essentially playing... I did not, so... Iron Chef in Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, you okay, now I get it. need to watch... More Food Network. <laughs> I do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said watch. My actual word would be subjected to because it's on a lot in my house and I don't have any say in that matter. Hey, I like the ah. great British Bake Off, right? Yeah, that's a good one. I like Chopped. <laughs> I've not seen that one, but I'll take your word for it. All right. So the setup is essentially that the food mages of the world of Dayaimbe need to essentially click the spoiler tags that I have in the post and find out what their secret ingredient is. They need to name their dish, give a visual description, the scent, the flavor, the aftertaste, and any mechanical effects that they would like to apply. And of course, they need to present themselves as the glorious food mage that they are. I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> okay, I got it. So, with all that said, Neil, what was your favorite pick from all of these very, very, very good responses? I don't... I mean, that is extremely difficult. Well, I know which one I picked, uh, and I very much liked DM Sam's post, uh, which is, name of the dish is the Mind Splitter, uh, and I'm just going to kind of launch into this one here. So, the Mind Splitter is a dish from the famed Displacer Beast of fantasy lore, Displacer Beast being the kind of creatures that can project themselves and kind of move in and out of, you know, illusory or, or it's very difficult to kind of get a beat on them because they're always seeming to never be in the same spot for like a second. So the idea of having a dish that plays on that is really cool. So the way DM Sam describes it is uh, there's these finger length strips, almost kind of like, a, you know, kind of like a displacer beast strips sure that's the best way i could come up with it mm-hmm. um and there's a little sauce you know whatever that you can dip them in but basically each piece still kind of shimmers and moves with like a real realistic motion to it and that's really creepy and awesome because like i don't want to eat something that's like potentially moving um but it's just moving because that's what displacer beasts do you've got a 50 percent chance you don't get anything <laughs> with your fork exactly 50 percent chance it's gonna miss and fall on the floor so yeah so he describes it with a fruity alcohol scent from the special sauce and then it's a very sweet uncooked flesh uh flavor with a crispy fruity scent of the alcohol-based sauce however there's a faint movement within each morsel when consuming this dish which is just 
super gross and I love it. So, of course, by eating this dish, you potentially have a chance of kind of gaining the ability of a Displacer Beast. So uh, by making a DC 13 Wisdom saving throw uh, and on a successful save, the creature that eats this gains the displacement effect of a Displacer Beast for one hour, basically projecting an image of itself nearby, uh, like very nearby. So that way people are very confused about where the actual location of the person or creature or whatever is. However, on a failed save, uh, the person or thing that ate the Displacer Beast dish uh, is going to see duplicates of every creature. So they're seeing basically what everyone else sees of the Displacer Beast and that like your projection and your vision is totally messed up. And everyone's now split into copies of themselves, which is amazing. So, yeah, that's that is the the mind splitter dish made from the meat of Displacer Beast. So that's my pick for this one. That is fantastic pick right there from the Silver Dragon, no less, of DM Sam. So I am going to choose for mine the slow-cooked Beholder Stock Skewers brought to us by Tigranosaurus, who is an amazing bronze dragon. I am so excited for these. Essentially, it is their take on Fugu, which would be Pufferfish which is a very risky dish, mm-hmm. but if prepared properly, very tasty. I've never actually had fugu. Neither have I, but <laughs> we apparently like sitting in a, a room talking into a microphone rather than going outside and risking our lives. Uh-huh, rather than being in a hospital dying slowly. Mm-hmm. So each of these is a single beholder stock with the eye removed, Served on a foot-long stainless steel skewer. When done properly, it smells of hickory smoke, spice, and barbecue. It is a very intense, full-flavored meat that sends every nerve in your mouth a tingling. But not in a negative way. Essentially, it's almost like like mild shocks. That's pretty... I don't know if I would consider that good, but I mean, that's fine. Some people are into the tingly mouthfeel that's that's their thing pop rocks yeah that's right <laughs> nine volt batteries the uh, oh god uh, okay i tried and now i've lost my focus so some of the personality traits of a beholder often end up being madness but also this belief in themselves that they are almost transcendent almost a godlike being now if cooked properly then some of that feeling of being a god can remain within the dish and actually give almost like this sublime divine high after eating it. And the mechanical effect can actually be a prophetic vision into the future. Obviously, you're kind of going to start dealing in the realm of the divination spells that a cleric would use. So DM discretion. But essentially, that's... Why it is so highly sought after is because of the potential of what it could bring to you and your mind and the transformative feeling of eating a properly cooked Beholder Stock Skewer. What happens if you don't cook it properly, Neil? Yeah, we've got a few problems there. Because if you undershoot it, then the paranoia is not all the way gone. And instead... You kind of think that everyone is trying to, like, undermine you. And sometimes, unfortunately, this leads to, and I quote, 
blood baths. <sighs> this is like an extreme version of just people getting high, but instead of being paranoid that people are like trying to, you know, pickpocket you, it's, oh no, you're going to just murder everybody in front of you. Oh, and don't worry. This effect lasts for 1d4 plus 1 weeks. It's so good. Yep. So, there's the other way. And what happens if we overcook it? Well, unfortunately, the madness remains, and you roll a disadvantaged DC 14 charisma check, where on a success, you take 6d6 poison damage and are rendered unconscious for 1d6 rounds. On a failed save, though, your mind is drawn irrevocably away from your body and into an alternate plane. (laughs) So, there's that. Worth it, though. I mean, for that mm, that yummy, yummy beholder stock skewer. Mm. Yeah, that, that prophetic vision or not. Worth it. I... Couldn't agree, Maybe. couldn't agree less. <laughs> so, with both of those amazing options out of the way, you and I are going to lift the mental weights. Yes, we right are. now. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. I think I've got one. I think I know that there were several submissions, so this might be this might be kind of following along with somebody else has already done. So if I apologize, I'm, I'm looking and I don't see it. So I think I'm okay. But just to be, just want to throw that out there that I apologize if I kind of stepped on anyone else's toes with this idea. But so my dish is going to be, uh, let's, let's call it a stone, let's call it a stone stew. And the reason why it's called that is because it's made from the innards We'll say of a basilisk it's a kind of stew or soup that has been used with, and and like the main kind of meat in this stew is basilisk meat uh and the issue or what's really actually delicious of it i should say first is that the stone stew uh has a very kind of earthy smell and also kind of got a it's got a very heavy taste to it like it's full of herbs and like it, it tastes like something that you would find from kind of uh, some kind of wandering, you know, uh, tribe maybe that's all about like you know herbal, you know, foods and stuff. Like it, it's just full of that, and so it's got a great earthy flavor. But issue though is that it potentially, because it's made from basilisk meat, can turn you to stone by eating it. Like your, your body actually hardens the more you eat it. Uh, you kind of have to eat it very slowly because your tongue and your mouth and, and then slowly going down, you know, your insides and everything as you are digesting and eating the soup start to harden and solidify. You kind of have to take it really, really slow. It's like an all day affair to eat like a bowl of this stuff. Essentially, you got to space it out, spread it, spread it out. So yeah, that's my idea for a stone what did I call it? I already forgot what I called it. I thought it was just like a stone stew. Stone stew. There you go. That's right. You agree. I agree. So my question to you then would be, are there any positive mechanical effects? Uh, it's delicious. Okay. <laughs> Good enough for me. Um, secondly, who is the chef, the food mage connoisseur oh, that is bringing right. to us this delectable meal? Mm, I, I forgot that part. 
I mean, they they have to be people that are well versed and well trained to to handle basilisks. I mean, just the fact that in order to get this meat, it involves killing and butchering a pretty dangerous animal. So, I imagine that these these chefs are. I think they're actual like either former adventures or maybe even current adventures that do this like on the side where they go out and they actually track and take down these basilisks, basilisks themselves because it's such a dangerous thing to procure. So they're they're very yeah yeah like you're I think these chefs like Moonlight also as as typical adventures and are very uh, capable and very strong individuals themselves. Oh, that's so good. We're gonna start a whole campaign. There you go. Where the the leader of it is the food mage, and they're just going out on adventures to get more supplies, and for mine. So we'll, we'll just go with the alliteration because that's the thing I love. So before you today is nothing, none other than a shrieking salad. Okay. So it's pretty typical salad, but then on top are actually pieces of a shrieker, which is a very a large fungus-like creature in Dungeons & Dragons. Now, the issue that comes up first and foremost is that when bright light or anyone is within 30 feet of the shrieker, it admits a shriek that can be heard within 300 feet. So, we got a problem. Mm-hmm. So now we've already harvested the shrieker, but the dark elf chef before you actually cast a small globe of darkness when they get, pull it out to actually use it. So they actually cook the meal in total darkness. Oh. They can't actually see what they're doing. And that because it's been cast on the piece of the shrieker, when it's brought to your table, it's still contained inside of a small globe of darkness. And so you actually kind of have to like get your face into it so that you don't have any of the negative side effects. That's real good. And I'm trying to think of the mechanical effect. This is a meal often chosen by bards because the positive mechanical effect, if not only harvested, prepared, but eaten correctly, will actually boost the power of their voice and they can actually be heard farther away. Okay. I like that. Or you could also have it just be like someone leading an army who's like, give me the shrieker salad. <laughs> Make me a shrieker salad now. <laughs> I have to I have to tell tell all my soldiers many things. <laughs> I have to give a Braveheart speech in five minutes. <laughs> Embolden them. They can take our <laughs> lives, but they'll never take our shriekers. <laughs> it's gross. So yes. Then that was cooked by Magthoth, the dark elf food mage i do like the fact that dark elves have to make it that's that's a good touch that was their delicacy brought to the surface world and that's how they've been accepted into our society <laughs> <laughs> not through good deeds no of course not good food it's the universal you know cultural crossing you know so do you have another one uh, ooh, uh, no, my brain has not jumped that far ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> I do not. Then to you, sir, I say we create an owl bear omelet. Oh, that's gross, but okay. Okay. Let's do it. So it also makes me think of a very large egg, you know, similar to like trying to create an omelet with like an ostrich egg. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
once it's done, I'm trying. I mean, I feel like almost everything about this idea is traditional, except when you eat it. Like, what happens to you needs to be interesting. Well, maybe if it's under, maybe if it's like a very runny omelet, not cooked thoroughly enough, maybe you run a risk of potentially start growing feathers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's what I came up with. Uh, you know, feathers, they're bad. Nobody wants to have feathers. That is weird. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it grants some kind of abnormal strength. Because um, owlbears are very large creatures and very strong, typically. Uh, they're portrayed as like very very powerful monsters you know so maybe maybe it grants like a, a physicality to the person that that eats it that's like a temporary like muscle enhancement or something like that that makes them like extraordinarily strong for a brief amount of time i like it i mean i do like the negative side effect of starting to turn into an owlbear because you know, <laughs> the, the basic assumption is that these creatures are were created through some magical means right um, rather than a natural occurrence of an owl bear right it's a magical monster you probably just you probably shouldn't eat it period but i mean if you're going to then yeah i really do like the potential for just kind of (gasps) done it the negative is essentially lycanthropy but you're a were owl bear done i got it (laughs) Put a bow on it. That's good. So so that's going to do it for our ideas. Uh, the Albert omelet sounds delicious, but you can let us know what you think about it. If you would eat an Albert omelet or uh, you know stone stew or whatever other ideas that we came up with, and you can share your own ideas uh, by sending us an email over at dmnastics at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at dmnastics. You can also find our personal Twitter handles over on that page. Uh, and then you can also go to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com for the entire network of podcasts that we are part of. But before we go, we're going to head over for our post workout cool down and stretch with the light bulb. Light bulb. So for today's light bulb, I wanted to bring the idea of using crit hit and crit failure in different aspects of the game. Rules as written, at least to the best of my knowledge, is only using it when it comes to attacks. Whenever you roll a 1, no matter what your plus is, you're going to miss. Whenever you roll a 20, no matter what your minus may be, or the AC of the creature, you're going to hit. Now, that said, I want us to keep this caveat of I don't know if this is true. So, internet, tell me, because I know you want to. So, <laughs> <laughs> and even if you don't want them to, they're going to. Yeah. So, essentially applying it anywhere. So that when you roll a skill check, if you get a 1, it's definitely all bad. And if you roll a 20, it's all good. I know that that's kind of what I've always done at my table, so I was wondering if, Josh, you have any ways that this has been used at your table. 
So I've never, I've never done, I mean, I've always done like the, you know, a one's an automatic failure for, you know, lots of things. But when you go into the concept, concept of like a critical failure, critical hit, usually implying that there's some kind of extra level of bad or good, you know, if they roll that magic number. So I haven't done this in like D&D necessarily, but there is a game, there's an RPG that I've played that actually does have that built in. And that's, it, it, it's, at least in a way which you may have heard of, it's the um, Dragon Age system, or the Age system, which they use for Dragon Age, and they use for Titan's Grave, um, which was like the the show that they did with Will Wheaton. So in that, they in the Age system, you can get these things called stunts whenever you roll doubles, which is kind of like a critical, you know, whatever in that system. Now, stunts typically, you know, like in D&D when you roll a 20, like those type of things are reserved typically in combat. Um, but in, in Age system games, you can actually get stunts for things like travel and exploration or for you know role-playing scenes like conversations and diplomacy stuff and they have a whole chart of things that can come into play so it's really cool to be able to be like like as an example of a role-playing stunt you know that it's almost like a critical you you interpret as a critical success in a role-playing scene you can be like you're presenting your argument to an npc and then you do it with such a flourish and with such bravado that you essentially embarrass the person that you're that you're talking to uh and everybody else that's kind of nearby listening to this conversation starts laughing at that person because now like they realize how badly you've essentially put that person in their place um and so you kind of give the player a little bit more of a, a sense of like how amazing of a job that they just did at their task you know even though it's not combat it's still something that you know they're trying to do and it kind of rewards them for everything essentially not just beating up monsters so that's an example anyway where i've seen it done really well um and you could easily take that and apply it to rolling a nat 1 or a nat 20 in D. i really like the idea of the stunt and then applying it mainly to what a 20 would mean exactly i know if it's double sixes in that system essentially you do something so well so memorable that like the world remembers right and think about rolling a 20 on like a climb check and like the notoriety that came from that amazing climb that you did, like transcends just your group. And like people know about that. I think it would be a lot of fun to do and add to your players. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, uh, as I have, the, I pulled up the fantasy age table of stunts uh, in front of me. So just like as another example of, uh, so that was a role-playing stunt that I m- mentioned before, but like they have exploration stunts, which is also a thing that, all your players typically do, you know, like if you're doing travel and stuff, you, you know, and DMs will often make them roll for that. If you have a critical success, like while you're trying to do survival, you know, trying to, to traverse a, you know, dangerous territory or something like that. Um, you can do something like, you can say that the resources that would typically be consumed, you know, by the party for the thing that they're doing, like whatever travel they're doing, say rations or even just like equipment, you know, that they would normally use up, uh, is, only use half as much as normal. Like they were able to, because of the, the excellence of their, of their travel of their exploration or whatever, um, they were able to maybe find or stumble upon additional resources or be more efficient about the use of their resources so that they, you know, still have more than what they would have normally had. So it's just a way to kind of reward the players for, for cool roles. I like it. And the last one that I like using is applying the idea to initiative. And if they roll a one, essentially, like this is kind of an extreme, you can figure out where it fits into 
you where it fits in for you and your players but if a person rolls a one they actually miss the first turn and if a person rolls a 20 i this is what i apply more is i like kind of giving them what is in essence a surprise round mm-hmm. and so they get or an additional action that they get to take before anyone else so it's definitely a cool way to promote that because i know I know the sentiment often feels when, especially when rolling a 20 on an initiative, like, oh, I wasted it. Yeah. Like, I wasted a 20. Like, if I rolled a 19, I probably still get to go first. But now I rolled a 20, and I still go first a little bit faster. Right. So I think that's that's kind of the catalyst of this whole idea was that, oh, I, I wasted it kind of thing. Right. No, I see that. And I've heard that complaint before. I like that for a 20. I think with a one, you'd have to be careful because I combat and like D and D and stuff can always, you never know, like can always just be super swingy. And like just the fact that somebody misses a turn could be lethal for, you know, as as an extreme example, but could be like very punishing for that player. And you don't want them to feel like they're not having fun or whatever. So just, he's got to find what works for your group. Here's, here's the lighter version that I like now that we've discussed it and we're going on longer on this light bulb than I think we <laughs> normally do, but Oh, well it's a good discussion. That's right. We'll, we'll get through it quickly. So they go last no matter what, because you could have a rogue who could out plus, you know, in a cleric that rolled higher and maybe they lose one action or a movement. Like they can only do a smaller portion of their turn. Yeah. I like that. Like they get one. Yeah. They can do half of their normal turn. So they're not Sold. completely limited or whatever, but yeah, I can see that. Well, there you go. Well, with that, we're going to turn out the lights and head out of the gym. But before we go, I just want to implore you, the listeners, to join up on the forums and take part in all of these challenges and exercises, as well of all, uh, as well as all of the other amazing conversations being had. To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, "Do you even lift?" Can I trust you'll add your own cardio? Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. What are you doing? Horizontal running.